0: Unless you're just a business creating just this simple widget day in and day out, and you don't really need to come up with new ideas, you can't succeed. Your competitors are going to beat you day in and day out if you don't hire and build and develop that diversity in-house. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence.
1: The global sales enablement community has positioned itself as one of the most welcoming, helpful and connected professional communities out there. Our guest in this week's episode has been one of the most visible community members actively driving this collaborative culture. We'll talk about his experience in attempting to elevate the sales enablement profession, his top tips for enablers who want to contribute, and the role enablement plays in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Please welcome the founder of Trust Enablement, John Moore. John, welcome to the state of sales enablement.
0: Hey Felix, it's great to be here today. I'm so excited and a little bit, to be honest with you, pumped up. You have created such an amazing show and program around enablement that it's truly an honor to be here.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, John. You've posted me a few times already on your several content formats, so I feel like I'm just starting to return the favor, but I'm really keen to have that conversation with you because you've been a household name in the global sales enablement community for quite a while and omnipresent on LinkedIn and all kinds of other channels. But just to kick off, for the few people that might not be familiar with John Moore, who is John Moore and what's been your background and what's been your career journey so far?
0: I came out of school with the idea of being an electrical engineer. So I studied electrical engineering at a school. I've always been fascinated by how systems work and get put together. And I started that fascination on the hardware side, and then I quickly moved into the software side. And I actually took the first half of my career rose to the rank of CTO, chief technology officer on that side. But I realized through that journey how much more interesting people were over software and hardware. You could write a piece of code, you'd count on a certain output, but you could have the exact same conversation with a human being, another human being, whether we're talking about a sales conversation an internal conversation with teammates, employees, peers, and you would never be guaranteed what would come out the other side. So that fascination led me to jump over to the business side of the house, where I've done everything from sales to marketing, customer success. I ran support for a formal three month stretch in my career. It was a great deal of fun but you should never put me in front of a support organization. I'm like, yeah, our product sucks. We did a terrible job. How can I help you? So I wouldn't always say the right things. I'm joking a little bit, Felix. But so really switch to the other side of the house because people have fascinated me for so long. The other piece of my career journey, which I think is interesting, has certainly shaped how I view the world is I've spent most of my career involved with software that focuses on and helping teams better communicate and collaborate. Early in my career, I worked on a little product called Lotus Notes way back in the day when it was still a young product. And really it focused on helping enterprise organizations through small and mid-sized businesses, bring all of their knowledge, all of their information together and simply better collaborate and operate as a business. And I've always been fascinated on how we could leverage a combination of process, people, and software to actually come up with that secret recipe. And sales enablement to me was simply a logical place where I saw an opportunity in this central function, this central business function to really make a massive change, a massive impact, I should say, a positive impact on how businesses achieve their results. And doing so in a way that, if it's done well, you're playing a very strategic part of all business decisions and really involved up and down the leadership chain, all the way across horizontally and vertically. And, and just such a fun opportunity to do something really neat. So that's why ultimately I ended up in sales enablement. Nowadays, I'm operating on my own, having last November went off and took trust enablement as my full time job and really been focused on continuing to build out trust enablement, both as a encyclopedia of sorts for strategy, tactics, and tools that people can use across the go-to-market function, and started to do a lot more with that as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we go through the conversation. Awesome. What a wealth of experience. Well, I think what
1: really strikes me about your career journey is that you combine so many different perspectives and for anybody who is following this podcast, it's also something that I keep on banging on about is that it's worth leaving the sales name in bubble and actually gaining an understanding of all the different areas that affect business and that inform business strategy. So I think that's a very strong theme in your career journey and certainly a reflection of why Trust Enablement has been so successful so far. Now, in terms of your reasons to start Trust Enablement, like what was the reason for you to uh, kick that project off? Because you initially started it when you were still employed full time. So it seems to me like it was a bit of a passion project.
0: It was. You're right on, Felix. I was working at a company called Big Tin Can, one of the top sales enablement vendors out in the space today. But one of the things that I had noticed while working there, and I had noticed it in my previous company at at a company called Brainshark, which is also in in the enablement space and Big Ten Can ultimately went on to buy, was how poor the adoption of the sales technologies, of a lot of go-to-market technologies, but especially sales technologies has been. And not only that, but how minimal the impact of those technology purchases often is on the business that invests all that money. I've talked to customers, and I know you have too, Felix, you and I run in similar enough circles. You see small companies running five or six pieces of tech, and you see enterprise companies running hundreds of pieces of go-to-market technology for everything under the sun. I was working with a Fortune 500 company not long ago, and they had dozens and dozens and dozens of tools all for the same purposes that little teams throughout their sales organization were all using. And what made it even worse was some of those sales teams were using multiple tools for the same function because your top seller would like this one, the other top seller would like this one, and just such a scattering of tools and all of that. And when I looked at the enablement space specifically, I saw it as a real, early stage function. I I don't think anybody would argue that sales enablement as a defined profession is fairly new. It's been around, the ideas behind it have been around for a long time, but the profession itself has only begun to be codified and described in any real sense in the last 10 to 20 years. So I saw it as an opportunity to really make a difference for both the senior enablement professionals that are out there, who have learned one way of doing things that they've had success with through the younger, less experienced enablement professional who doesn't yet know what good looks like. And I also saw it as an opportunity to really blow up some of the myths that exist around the technology out there today. Now, I was working for a vendor when I started Trust Enablement, so I was very careful to avoid the technology aspect but focus heavily on the strategies and tactics that go into making enablement successful. And I initially started doing a lot of what you're doing right now. Through Trust Enablement, I did 230 odd podcasts over the course of 18 to 24 months. And all of the podcasts were nothing more than the glorious activity of sitting down and talking to really interesting people across this globe of ours about what they're doing in their jobs what's working for them and what's not working for them and sharing those stories and ultimately collecting them and I'll say building almost an encyclopedia of knowledge in you know on trust enablement we have our ultimate guide on sales enablement we have guides on content governance on content on training and everything else that you could imagine and a lot of that some of that anyway, has been really directly informed by all of those amazing people that I've had an opportunity to chat with. And I really just wanted to use trust enablement both to collect that global knowledge in one place, but also to really make it a possible for voices beyond poor schmucks like myself to be heard and get their bright ideas out there. And I'll tell you, This leads in a little bit to, I know what we're going to talk about next, but one of the things that's truly been a joy for me beyond the fact that I see trust enablement getting better recognized, getting traffic, being used to improve the profession is the number of really interesting people that I first interviewed as part of my own efforts, seeing them go off and create their own podcasts and continuing the goodness of what was started there by having conversations with other interesting people and spotlighting other really cool ideas and people across this planet. That was simply amazing. Now, when I left Big Tin Can, when I left my paying gig, I did so with great intention. I had not been able to, in any way that I could feel ethically good about, talk about the technology side of enablement uh, of go-to-market in general, because I never wanted to either introduce marketing into my message or other unintended biases and have people feel like, well, geez, John is just trying to sell me something. So I left that and embarked on a journey of, geez, we've reviewed and analyzed about 250 tools in the go-to-market space over the last six to eight months really with the intention of spotlighting what all of them are good at because there's so much confusing marketing and messaging in in this tool space that surrounds us that it's hard for buyers to know what's the right tool that matches their needs. So, you know, I went off and did that with Trust Enablement for the last few months because it allowed me to do things to answer questions like, okay, I'm running an enablement team supporting 10 sellers and I have a $5,000 budget, what are the best tools I can buy to be successful to support what I'm trying to achieve? And now being able to answer that and add that level of insight back to the community, is just tremendously valuable and interesting from my perspective as well. Yeah, I think that's extremely powerful because when you look at enablement,
1: enablers enable sales typically, but when you're dealing in the space that we're dealing in, enabling the enablers, you just have to focus on what works and what doesn't. If we talk about trust in the community and the rising tide and everybody helping each other out, there's no place for people trying to enable enablers that aren't fully results focused. And I think the work that you're doing around the technology side of things, that's a massive gap in market because there's so much confusing messaging out there. So I don't blame any enablers that feel overwhelmed when they are trying to build their tech stack. Oh, me neither. It's confusing out there for a lot of people. So you touched on some of the members of Trust Enablement going off and trying to contribute to the community in an effort to elevate the enablement profession. So from your experience, just to make sure that people don't make the same mistakes over and over again, what have you seen working and what hasn't worked well for you in the past in that front?
0: Really, for me, what I think is important when you talk about collecting information and insight by interviewing interesting people. I mean, I'll just start there. First and foremost is, and I see you do this really well, Felix. It's about thinking through what are the general topics and themes that you're trying to add back to the community before you simply reach out to someone and interview someone you do this. And I always did the same. Try to really look at every person that you're reaching out to as a subject matter expert. Take a look at their LinkedIn profile. Take a look at what they've contributed elsewhere and think to yourself, what information do they probably have that they can share in a way that really raises them up and spotlights their unique perspectives and construct the conversations and interviews in a way that really brings that out, but then shut up and listen to people as they're talking. Because the best gold nuggets come about when you just shut up and listen, just like sales in general. But when I think about the mistakes that I made, certainly far more than the successes is probably accurate. If I take a look at the scoreboard with any level of humility, it's not necessarily trying to be all things for all people. We say this, but there's such a natural hunger when you're getting out there marketing yourself, building your brand, giving back, whatever you want to call it, to jump in on every single social media platform, to jump in and do every possible podcast yourself, to try to do all of those sorts of things. And I think just like a business has to be thoughtful about the markets, they target the ICPs that they're trying to serve and work with first and foremost, you need to be really targeted. So when I started What became Trust Enablement, geez, I think I was trying to do it on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on LinkedIn. And what I quickly realized was all of the really interesting conversations and people that were relevant to this space are on LinkedIn. So getting really good at my messaging to connect with the right people, really good with my prospecting to identify the interesting people to reach out to was one of the things that worked well. And I would say continuing to use every single person that you chatted with before to make those additional introductions was really a powerful piece of it. One piece of advice I would give people that I thought always worked well, I was honored to find a handful of people who gave of their time, gave of their knowledge to me to make sure that I didn't continue to make mistakes, that I genuinely reached out and connected with the right people, shared the right lessons. And when they felt that I was missing the mark, not due to poor intention, but simply just not getting the right message across, having that board of directors that could provide me feedback on how to improve, call it a board of directors, call it a group of mentors, coaches, That to me was probably the single most impactful thing that I did. And what it allowed me to do, and I'm sure you see this too, is many of those people I now support back the other way in terms of providing them mentorship and guidance and coaching, and many of the people that they were wonderful enough to introduce me to, I do the same for, and it's just allowed me to build stronger better, richer connections than I ever had before. So not everybody who might listen to
1: this might necessarily want to start a formal initiative like a podcast to contribute to the community or start an online community themselves. For enablers out there who listen to this, but who still want to contribute in some shape or form, what can they do on a day-to-day basis to contribute to the global sales enablement community in an effort to elevate
0: the profession? This is such an important question, both to elevate it inwardly for themselves and outwardly in sharing what they know as well. The Sales Enablement Society has done a phenomenal job of building recognition for the profession overall. And while I think every organization makes a lot of mistakes, what I would spotlight them for and encourage people to get involved with is they have an outstanding forum where you can ask questions, you can listen to questions people are asking and answer them yourself and show your knowledge back. I would also point out organizations like the Sales Enablement Collective and the Sales Enablement Squad, both have created really interesting Slack communities where you can join for free. And there's a lot of people asking questions, a lot of people sharing advice every single day. And I think those are great places that anyone anywhere on this planet of ours can jump in and start to get involved both to learn as well as to share and give back. We'll talk a little bit later about the event series that I've launched as well. I think there's tons of great opportunities for people to spotlight and share the bits of learning and knowledge that they have, much like we recommend training sellers and customer success professionals using approaches like micro learning. Sharing your education in small micro bursts, whether that's live through a podcast, simply writing a blog post on LinkedIn, using a LinkedIn article and sharing that, or simply reach out to people like myself, to people like you, Felix, and say, hey, I want to share this little bit of insight that I have with others. And if you're not comfortable doing a podcast, you're not comfortable doing a video, I know I'll just share that information and say, hey, had a great conversation with Sally or Bob or Bill or Felix or whoever, here's what they shared with me. Because there's so much information across this planet, there's so many ways to get involved, but I think those are a handful of ways that can both bring value back to you as well as allow you to give value back out to people. And I would encourage everybody to check out all of those platforms and communities because they are really, really good. Oh, and one I forgot, and I'm embarrassed I forgot it because I'm a huge fan, is WISE. Women in Sales Enablement started by the most amazing four women, four human beings that I happen to know. They started it, geez, two or three years ago, and it's just continued to grow and thrive. Most of them have stepped away from the day-to-day of it, but there have been so many amazing leaders across this planet who have started up local chapters. So with those and with Sales Enablement Society, there's often a chance to get involved locally. If you just want to go catch a meetup in your local biggest town nearby, you can do that as well. So I wanted to change pace a little and
1: talk about DEIB, which for those people not familiar with the acronym stands for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging. You're a big advocate for that topic because you're also very inclusive in your approach, so much so that you at some stage even changed your name on LinkedIn to The Collaborator, which was truly a reflection of the way you operate. Which role can enablement play in avoiding that DEIB is really being perceived as a token PR exercise? Because it's a cynical point of view, obviously, but there are opinions out there that a lot of those, especially publicly announced programs, are really all about PR and they might have good intentions, but there's still sort of that element of virtual signaling and really having it as a perception play. What can enablement really contribute to avoid?
0: DEIB becoming a token exercise? It's a great question. And and I was a harsh critic and didn't make any friends in the enablement space when a big program launched a year ago with a couple of players that I won't call out by name because I saw it as really a PR marketing play to say, Hey, we care about this stuff. And I haven't seen a lot done from it, but I'll leave that to the side. And anybody wants to learn more, call me and we'll have a couple of drinks and we can talk about it. It's an important question because I will say, honestly, I think oftentimes, I think it almost always starts with great intentions, Felix. People look around and say, geez, we need to get more people, different people involved here. And sometimes that great intention simply goes to enough people, enough processes, and enough politicization that it becomes, unfortunately, nothing more than a marketing or PR campaign. As enablement professionals, though, we set, when done right, at the collaboration hub of the go-to-market for our businesses. We have the opportunity to interact with, collaborate with, communicate with, learn from, and share with our peers across not only sales, marketing, customer success. And those teams, but we also, when operating at full steam and full tilt, are working closely with our partners in human resources in HR, with legal and other organizations. So I think one thing that it's so simple for us to do in that role, and it's actually a much more powerful lever than it's going to sound like, is simply set in the middle and listen and share what we're hearing across those teams and across the relationships, across people that we're building relationships with as well, and act as a, I'll call it a, an arbiter of what's actually happening within the organization. We have the opportunity to raise our hands and point out some of these discrepancies in behavior and equity and in all those fronts in a way that other organizations may not have as well. So first off, I think we said at a collaboration hub and we have an opportunity that other functions don't always have. I also think that we own and are responsible for a few things that we can use to demonstrate that not only do we recognize it as a challenge and opportunity for improvement, but that we're taking it seriously ourselves. We should be talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging As part of our work with every single team we're working with, when we're putting out new sales communications, for example, or training the team on new sales communications coming from marketing, we should be ensuring that feedback is collected from diverse voices throughout the organization and outside of it, if possible, as well. And we shouldn't fall into the trap of simply looking at diversity equity, inclusion, belonging as a skin color, religious, or sexual orientation or male, female, or any of those sorts of things, it goes far beyond those points. There's diversity of thought. There's diversity in terms of how we learn. There's diversity in terms of communication styles. We should be using our role in that collaboration hub where we set in as enablement professionals to constantly be looking for how do we make everything we do more inclusive. Now it's funny, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging all represent four distinct capabilities or challenges or whatever we wanna call them, Felix. And so often we simply fall into diversity. And I certainly spent a lot of the time right there focusing only on that, but the other pieces I would argue, are just as important. And the one that I'll hammer on for a couple of seconds, if you'll bear with me, is belonging. We, especially through the pandemic, belonging has always been a challenge. You always have some people in the organization that don't feel like they fit. Whether they're perceived as not fitting by others or not doesn't matter at all. But there always going to be those people in the organization that feel like they don't fit, they don't belong, they're not furred. And that problem has only been amplified by the rapid shift to remote work. That shift has been underway for years. Certainly in the US, it was further ahead than in other parts of the world prior to the pandemic, but it just amplified the problem. And we have an opportunity of making sure that not only are we educating managers on the importance of touching base with their teams, but also doing so in a way that isn't simply about fitting the numbers don't get me wrong i'm not one of these people that don't believe the numbers are important they're vitally important and i think too often we fail to recognize that in our roles as enablers but we also need to make sure that our teammates our peers our leadership and the people that we support and work with see yeah. that the balance of the human side and the business side of our individuals that work in our business, that we serve as customers, that we partner with, that we look at both sides with everything we do. Belonging is one of those areas that so often is completely ignored. And I'll tell you, belonging plays into, and I wish I had done a better job of grabbing the statistic ahead of time, but there's a statistic that talks about the fact that I think it's nearly 50% of people are looking for work at any point. You look at, you go to market team, your sellers, your customer success, your marketers, half of them, maybe a third to half of them are looking for work. And one of the main drivers for them looking to work, certainly in compensation matters, but it's also about the level of, and I'll translate how it's usually asked, but it usually has to do with the level of inclusion and belonging that people feel with the rest of the company and the business. And I'll go back to the pandemic for two seconds, What we've seen in a lot of the research that's come out from people much smarter than myself is that many of the people hired purely remotely during the pandemic, never met people, their teammates face-to-face, didn't build up the same level of belonging, of loyalty to the business that you might have had if you had been onboarded and joined the company. When you actually had a chance to sit down and have a cup of coffee face-to-face with people in the morning, it's just changed the name of the game. And it's further exacerbated this as a problem. What I will wrap up with is, look, as enablement professionals, we own a responsibility to the business for helping them hit their numbers, but we also own a responsibility to the business to make sure that every single employee in the business is successful. And that success is only going to come if we treat them and recognize and understand them as the complete human beings that they are and find ways to help them succeed, which means truly understanding who they are and communicating with them and finding ways to communicate and educate them in ways that are representative of how they learn, how they communicate, how they see, and so on and so forth. I think it's always important to remember for
1: businesses to actually see that those initiatives have a true bottom line impact if they're done well. The impact or the benefit to the business doesn't stop where you have some people thinking highly of you because of some press release. The impact is actually achieved when you do those things successfully by increasing retention rate, by increasing motivation of employees, by them becoming more productive, by you making smarter strategic decisions because you have more voices at the table contributing their opinions and their diverse opinions. So I think that is important to remember that it is a business decision to do these things. And not doing these things is a counterproductive way of acting. And from my point of view, it cannot only
0: be a PR exercise. Yeah. And I just want to point out briefly two key areas that I think enablers should keep in mind when they consider both the activities that they perform and how they communicate this to their leadership team and peers. There's lots of research out there, and you could go find the latest and greatest numbers. But SDRs, those inside sellers, SDRs, BDRs, on average, And these are U.S. numbers, so I apologize, but I I know globally they're not far off. SDRs, BDRs typically stay about 18 months in their role. Outside sellers, AEs often spend about 23 to 24 months. The average time to train a new AE, though, can be eight to 10 months, and an SDR is usually about half of that. So if you do a little bit of quick math, you can see how little time you actually have where they're ramped up, productive, and delivering. Now they're only going to be ramped up, productive and delivering if you've maximized their time to productivity, if you've armed them to stay positive, upbeat, armed with great information and successful throughout their time. And there's numbers and re- more research out there that shows that the average cost of replacing, and I'll just talk about an outside a seller an AE, ranges anywhere from two hundred to $500,000. Again, U.S. dollars, U.S. research. So there's a huge cost both in terms of the searching for the new hire, interviewing them, but also the lost opportunity cost when the employee is less productive before they turn over, when you have to re-ramp up the new person, all of that. It's really compelling. The other bit of research that I want people to consider is there's a great book called The Medici Effect, which talks about the importance of Diversity of thought and input on projects and business success. One of the things that I'll point out is if you run a business that all it does is create widgets, so it's okay for you to do the same job day in and day out, very little change. You don't actually have an argument for, there's not a ROI argument, not a strong one for diversity of thought and background and experience. But most businesses today, only succeed as a result of innovation, there's a lot of research out there that shows just how impactful diversity of thought, whether it's neurodiversity, diversity of background, whether it's the level of economic opportunities you grew up with, your other background factors, that diversity across the board has a major impact on the bottom line of businesses that are driven through innovation. So. Unless you're just a business creating just this simple widget day in and day out, and you don't really need to come up with new ideas, you can't succeed. Your competitors are going to beat you day in and day out if you don't hire and build and develop that diversity in-house. John, we're running out of time, but before we part ways, I
1: want to take a minute to talk about the upcoming conference you teased it earlier. So, for anybody listening, keen to learn more about it and to understand how to get involved, what is this
0: conference all about and where can they sign up to participate? I'm going to give you the link, Felix, to include in the podcast first off. On trustenablement.com, there's a big events link. So you can go there and find out more information. The reason I formed it and the purpose of it is it's meant to be a truly accessible $50 per ticket, interactive, a lot of roundtable and workshops diverse and inclusive by having a lot of faces and voices and people you just don't see at the other conferences and really meant to be a place to bring together the entire global community across you know regardless of where you live we're going to be running it across three time zones across three days so we'll be covering africa and europe apac and the americas across three days with a really unique blend of learning interaction and just different working sessions that allow people to feel like they met a lot of new people that they can count on to reach out to and work with after the event and that they've learned a lot in a way that's very unique from every anything else that's out there today awesome
1: that sounds good to me i think this is one of the highest value conferences out there if you consider the price point and all the things that are included really looking forward to that one i'll be leading one of those workshops at the event as well so really looking forward to and appreciate you involving me, John. And apart from the conference, where can people find you online and where can people connect with you if they are keen to continue the conversation around how to elevate the profession globally?
0: First off, if you go to trustenablement.com, you can find me there, connect with me there. But I'd also say go to LinkedIn and simply go to linkedin.com slash the T-H-E dash collaborator, C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R. That's my LinkedIn URL. I'd love to chat with you anytime, every time. This stuff is exciting for me and together we can make the world so much better. So reach out, let's find ways to collaborate and work together. Thank you so much, John. Next time on the State of Sales Enablement.
1: In that sense, both of the movements, the sustainability and the enablement movement try to change the system for the better so that it's more efficient and that we are not wasting things and that we are having better results and outcomes.